0: And for those that are just listening for the first time, you know, you've had 24 years. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I served eight years in the New South Wales Police. So today we're going to move on to something that we need to bring a lot of a, more awareness to, and that is uh, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, a lot of momentum gathering for post-traumatic uh, stress injury, so PTSI. Um, Mate, I know we've been friends for over 20 years Yes And I'm only just learning of a lot of the battles that you've been going through The more episodes that we've done And the more awareness we're bringing the people reaching out to us With similar stories from all over the country So um, today we're going to talk about your um, battle with PTSD
1: Yep, happy to do that
0: So before we speak about that, um, if anyone's watching or listening um, and you've had your own battles uh, with PTSD, please listen or watch this with a support person. And if it does trigger anything urgent, uh, please contact Lifeline, which is 13 11 14. Mark, um, when did you first realise that being a police officer affected you in a way that something's not right here? I need help.
1: Um, I reckon it was probably about two years into the job. I'd been to a um, fatality whilst on night shift. Um, Didn't sleep the next day. Um, Then that afternoon, went to a mate's place, started having a party, Um, got on the drink. Um, I was still on night shift.
0: Where were you working this time? I was working at Blacktown.
1: Um, Party was in Penrith. Um, Got on the drink pretty heavily, knowing I still had to work that night. Um, but um, I can reflect back now and think, well, it was just, again, coping mechanism, um, yeah. which was inherent in, in the police then at that stage. Um, put aside your emotion, just drink it. And to be honest, I didn't feel there'd be any repercussions turning up to work being drunk because it was part of the culture then. Um, yeah. So that was pretty bad that I was even considering going to work Intoxicated, and knowing that it'd probably be fine, it's more
0: encouraged than yeah.
1: Um, because that was the way we dealt with yeah um, incidences. So, um, I don't remember I went to work. I drove, so straight away I've done the wrong thing. Um, turned up to work intoxicated, and um, I don't know what my state of mind was then, but. Um, I know I was still upset from the night before from the fatality I know I went to my locker and at those days um, we kept our firearms in the locker we didn't have a gun safe or nothing like that you just kept it in your holster which was in your locker I got my gun uh, walked into the sergeant's office told everyone to go get fucked I'm out of here and just drove off took off um, with my firearm back then there was no mobile phones so they had no way of ringing me or anything like that. I ended up uh, at a mate's place at uh, Kings Langley or Kings Park, uh, Gabby's, and crashed in there and he obviously took the gun off me, put me into bed, uh, rung up, the off, you know, obviously the station. They came and got the gun, stayed at his place and uh, slept it off, woke up the next morning, um, had a chat with him as a mate and then went home. Um, nothing was, no phone call from work, nothing like that, nothing was said. Lobbed up at work that night for the next shift, Um, got a kick up the arse from the sergeant and my punishment was go and work in the station that night, answering phones, and that was pretty much all that was done from me turning up the night before, heavily intoxicated, taking my firearm, making some threats and disappearing on them no support nothing was offered to me just go and serve your time working in the station tonight and don't do it again
2: do you remember
0: when you said i went out on the drink and using alcohol was that to suppress what you were going through what was you were trying to process from that fatal
1: um yeah i do now yeah um hindsight's a wonderful thing yeah um so i didn't sleep that day i do remember that um and I went to my mate's party. And not were schoolmates at that time, so I was still socialising with my schoolmates. And yeah, I was intent on getting drunk. Um, and f- knowing full well I had to go to work that night. Um, I wasn't phased by that fact. Um, and now, with hindsight and having gone through a lot of uh, therapy and that, I can see that as being reckless behaviour. Mm. Um, and grabbing my gun and making... Um,
0: do you remember what caused that?
1: Um, like you said, but I just think it was I'm the out, pain. Like, I'm out of here. What yeah, I just think I wanted to. Um, I think then I was experiencing a lot of pain. Yeah, um, and I think when you're experiencing a lot of pain, alcohol is the worst thing you can do because it then magnifies your thoughts and and not the good thoughts and more the negative thoughts and um. But, yeah, just um, I think it was more or less. I think that was a call for help doing that. Yeah. Um, but never got it. And then I pretty much, that was would have been 1990. It wasn't until 1999, 98 that I was diagnosed with PTSD and that's when I first started seeing a counsellor.
0: Yeah, so what I wanted to move on to then was when was the point where you thought, I need professional help.
1: That was probably 1998. And um,
0: do you remember what an event that caused that or was That there, was the uh, fatality
1: was at Braidwood. Yeah. Um, as I said, the whole... That was in, I think, the second podcast we did. That yeah, I so went that, through that.
0: anyone listening, it's episode two. We go into depth about that fatality in Braidwood.
1: Uh, mate, just the whole non-coping with that one so many um, issues came up from that one that's when um, I sought help Um, but before that uh, there was none I'd even gone through a um, stabbed with a used syringe Um, had to go through the whole process of having blood tests and all that done Um, because back then there was a big fear of AIDS and things like that and again there was just no support network I didn't even I didn't even think at that point of that I should go and get counselling about how it's affected me and things like that. Um,
0: when that, was the syringe episode?
1: That would have been ninety, ninety-one as well. Okay. Um, and my girlfriend at the time, um, it affected us in a big way because of that fear of AIDS. So yeah. sexually, we had to be careful. Yeah. Um, my drinking just got heavier and heavier. Um, and as I said, I joined at a very young age where I wanted to be accepted and the drinking mentality was part of being accepted. Yes. um, As a coping mechanism, but also as being part of the group. Um, And I definitely got caught up in that environment. Um, Yeah, big time. And the more you drank and did stupid things, the more your um, ego grew and um, you were more accepted.
0: Did you feel could go and talk to someone no yeah
1: uh, and i'm sorry to cut you off short there but there was no, just that's... The, uh, you just you couldn't yeah you couldn't show that you were weak there was there was no way I could go up to the senior sergeant or a sergeant and start expressing how i was feeling they would just tell me fuck you know grow up mm. you know harden up get there, back out there do your job yes um and that's obviously the way they'll condition through their career um there was just no support. There was no way you would even contemplate going to talk to someone about how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, there was yeah. just. There wasn't even any remotely any person that you could even think that you could go and talk to.
0: Yeah. Um, it's what what you just said. Then we do love how we were loved, meaning how we how we enter relationships as adults is how we were loved as children, and s- similar with you know. That's how they were conditioned, as you know, through constables, senior constables, into a sergeant's role, senior role back in that day. Yep. That's they then just pass on that conditioning and so on and so on. And so it becomes a culture. That's just what happens.
1: It's almost genetic. It's just like passed on to one generation to to the next generation. It is. um, And that was a culture. There was just, as I said, like our way of dealing with an incident was go get a carton of beer or whatever it is, or go down to the local and everyone just drink until you're absolutely blind drunk. And yeah. that was just to make the, the thought process behind was that, drink until you forget. Yeah. Um, short term, yeah, it's great. But uh, long term, um, I said, I'm battling with a trauma at the moment which was triggered from an incident back in 1989. Um, yeah. And it got re-triggered two years ago. Something I hadn't thought about, but it was just sitting in the back of my mind because I didn't deal with it at the time. I just got myself drunk, um, forgot about it at the time, and 30 years later I was reminded of it.
0: Yeah. So, can, we, can you share, if you're okay to, from when you started to receive the professional counselling, what help you've got, sought, um, institutions you've been to?
1: Yeah, I um, started seeing a – initially, obviously, I went first portal calls, go see your GP. They'll then give you a referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, I was referred to both. Um, The psychiatrist I went to I've been seeing ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, So who knows my full history. I've had a few different psychologists, but a lot of times I've only changed psychologists mainly because I don't like building up a trust with someone – then just going to find another one or something like that so it takes a a little bit of a time to build up a trust with someone so then you can actually be open and honest and fully bring out your whole emotions and know that they are actually listening to you so once you get that established, that connection that's when you're going to get the best results and i've had very few psychologists because once i want to build that connection before i'll then fully open up yeah so it's a lot of background work and trying to get to know them as much as they're trying to get to know you just to build that confidence to be able to and the reason I, i've probably had three psychologists in my time they've all been female psychologists um yeah. my psychiatrist is male but the female psychologist the first two um the only reason i stopped seeing them was because of uh them being pregnant and yeah. obviously having to leave but they would then refer me and do a handover to the next one of a person they knew. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of been able to keep my story flowing and the psychologist I'm seeing currently, I've been seeing her for six years maybe, seven years. Um, so she knows my – I don't have to go in there and go through everything again. That's just sort of like let's pick up what's going on now and they know what's been going on. So it's a yeah. lot easier in terms of me – Healing and being getting the treatment that I need, that they know my actual background, yeah, because very, very, and that's the thing it's the perseverance at the start because they don't know what's been going on. You've got to build that trust with them, and then before you can actually fully open up, you need that trust mm. that you know that they're going to be doing the right thing and they're actually hearing you, yes. That's the biggest thing you can tell if they're not hearing you, um, because their responses, you know, it's just you think, well, that doesn't relate to me at all, mm. you know, um. The ones I've been fortunate, the ones that I've have, have been very attentive. um, And that's why I've just stuck with them. Um, And even with my psychiatrist and that, you know, like I've had opportunities where I could have gone to other hospitals and stuff like that for treatment. But he said that you'd have to see another psychiatrist. And I said, look, I just don't want to go through my whole story again. Mm -hmm. I don't. And that's the thing which we can speak about when you do all these independent medical assessments it's good that you go and do these med- but you've got to talk about stuff that you've spoken about that many times yes. and each time you've got to relive it you're remembering it yes and you are going back through the whole trauma process again mm. and again you're left with no support when you walk out of there um and that's why i've tried staying solid with my support network yes so i don't have to keep going back over everything
0: do you feel sometimes the issue can be also trying to explain the the exact work that police do, or ambulance officers do, or fireys do, trying to explain parts of the job, like what that means, as well as why that triggered you, or why that was a trauma?
1: Yeah, um, Some that's the thing, if you're looking for a specialist in that, you got to look for ones that actually are specialists in PTSD. Yeah. Um, Ones that will just do a bit of everything. Um, They don't have a full grasp of what – they will understand it textbook-wise, but they don't have a full – they need to listen to real-life stories um, to get an idea of actually what emergency personnel, defence personnel or anyone that's suffered PTSD, what is behind and the background of what's actually caused it. Mm. Um, And and, and until they know all those – the actual inherent environment that you've come from, they can't help you. Mm. because it's more t- it's not so much just the, the actual incident you attend to it's the culture that you're brought up in as well
0: yes with going back to so counselor uh sorry psychologists, psychiatrists how many have you seen has it been five or six for the in the last 30 years
1: um made over that period jeez. um when you put in the fact that um, there's been instances where I've been taken to hospital on a schedule, I've had to speak to psychiatrists there, um, my own psychiatrist or the independent psychiatrist, the psychologist, the psychiatrist I've had to speak to in hospitals when I've had admissions and that. When you add it all up, mate, uh, 20, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and each person, you've then got to go through the whole process. That's why the ones that I've got stable for my support network when I'm out and about... Functioning in society, I've tried to keep them constant.
0: That's what I wanted to share with everyone: is just let's take a step back and that big picture mm. uh, across the last thirty years. Yeah, so there's over twenty different specialists, easily. Yeah, that you've had to come in contact with, um, tell your story, relive yep. the traumas every yep. time, explain what police do yep you know um, just explain your history that is taxing, and that is, you know is that you know there's so many there's triggers in in all of that um, so just wanted to give people an overview of you know what can what is happening out there um, with those how many times have you been scheduled, and what institutions have you spent time in
1: um I've been taken to Nepean Hospital a dozen times I suppose um, on schedule um, because of concerns of safety um, yep. and I've spent probably a dozen um, inpatient stays out at St John of God Hospital out at Richmond mm-hmm. um, Prince of Wales Hospital I was scheduled there once yeah, they're pretty much the institutions that I've been in. Um, St John of God Hospital I've admission earlier this year did a lengthy admission last year um like i've been out of the police now for eight years and since i've been out i've still i think every year i've done one or two admissions per year um with a relapse or something like that so yeah um at the moment i'm battling again a re-trigger um and having absolutely ridiculous amount of um Stress created by the insurance company. Again, I don't understand why they want people with mental illness to, like, part of that is the anxiety which is caused by your uh, illness. Yet they seem to want to create more anxiety and more stress with the way they handle the claim. Yeah. Instead of helping you get the help you're, you're seeking, Yeah. they seem to want to muck around with it until it pushes people to doing something silly. Um, yeah. Whether that's what they want. I don't know. I can't imagine someone being that sick that they would want that from someone. Mm. Um, but there's no, measure, there's no system in place where they try and help you while they sort through all the paperwork crap. Yeah. But there seems to be so much importance on the paperwork crap before they actually fix you. And then the fact is, by the time they get through all that paperwork crap, you've regressed to an even worse point. Yeah. And a lot of people have regressed to a point of no return. Yeah. Um, and, well, put in a bluntly, they've committed suicide. Yeah. Um, And that is not a right system. It's wrong that they think people with mental illness are stupid. Mm. um, And they treat you that way too. They treat you like you're an idiot. Yes. Um, And as I said, the way they think that you've got all the time in the world while they take all the time in the world, it's just feeding into that anxiety like when you're sitting at home with nothing to do and all you're worried about are they going to allow me to go into hospital are they allow are they going to pay for me to go and see a doctor it just feeds into that anxiety it just feeds into that anxiety even more yeah it's almost like a game to them Mm. and it just takes away that feeling you you don't feel important you just feel they don't care so why should you care
0: yeah we were talking (coughs) before about there's to them, there's no face to the file.
1: There isn't, mate. Um, there's
0: just words and paragraphs in a file, yep. um, one after the other. There's no connection yep. um, between the insurance company or the assessor and you know, the person who was battling and suffering and going through what they are. So there's no empathy or there's no, um, no. Yeah, there's no human connection to that file. So it's no. it's easy for them to just treat it as such.
1: Mate, there isn't. Um, as I said, you're just a piece of paper on their desk. Yeah. Um, with a name and a number on it. <clears throat> I had an incident um, when I was first discharged. I also was medically discharged for a physical injury where I um, badly broke and dislocated my ankle. I uh, snapped both medial and lateral ligaments as well. So I had about um, 10 or so operations on that. Um,
0: How did you do that?
1: uh, Doing the uh, OSG course. Okay. Uh, Bush navigation, taking a shortcut running through the bush. Don't know if it was a hole or a rock, but just completely snapped my ankle. Jesus. Um, And then that led to a lot of operations. And with my PTSD and my self-care being um, exercise, I always found that when I had surgery and was... Placed into a boot for and being immobilized for six weeks, I was unable to do my self care, and that's when I would really go into a deep phase of depression and, and things like that. Yeah, um, just after being medically discharged from the police, I'd had surgery and found myself in one of those episodes of where I was not coping, I was stuck at home. Um, I actually couldn't weight bear on my foot for um, six weeks, and then I had to do only partial weight bearing for another six weeks. So I was that's three months of doing nothing exercising yeah i was getting into a really bad state my doctors and that referred me to um go to the hospital and um be out in the hospital while i was in the cast so i could be monitored and my health could be you know so i wasn't going to do anything you know anything silly because mm-hmm. i was getting into that depressed state and starting to think you know self-harm and suicidal thoughts i contact the insurance company and they said yeah we'll we'll get on to it um We've got 28 days to review it. I needed the treatment straight away. Like, I was Mm. at that point in my life where I didn't have many days before I was contemplating um, suicide. Insurance company, the arrogance of them was that, well, we've got 28 days. Um, If we need to take 28 days, we'll take 28 days. And I thought, well, that's unacceptable. Like, in 28 days' time, I'll be dead. So I ended up jumping on a train... Um, crutches and all. I went to the front door, um, secure door. You had to buzz to get in. I was on crutches, struggling to you know, get myself set to press the buzzer. Fortunately, at the time, a security guard walks past, sees so me struggling, and opens the door for me and lets me in. So I'm saying, your beauty, I'm in. Yep. Don't have to explain what I'm there for, who I'm there for, and probably just be told, look, you know, they're unavailable. Went to the front counter, demanded to see the case manager. She came out, saw me, obviously saw how distressed I was. And this is the one that just 24 hours had told me they'll take 28 days to review my claim. Yeah. After I'd already had all treatment, like it wasn't like they had to review whether I had PTSD or not. They knew I had PTSD. They just wanted to take 28 days to see whether I should go to hospital or not. Um, she said take a seat, went and sat in a lounge in the waiting room. She then must have gone around the office and picked the four biggest blokes to come out as a security entourage. They all stood around me and said, what do you want? And I said, well, look, now you've got the pile of paper on your desk. You've now got a face to it. So I said, you're telling me that I've got 28 days. I'm telling you I don't have many days left. I said, so when something goes to shit, you can remember this face. And then I walked out of there and they said, where are you going now? And I said, well, to be honest, what do you give a f- fuck? Yeah. Um, and I walked out of there, turned my phone off.
0: And they just allowed you to leave?
1: They just allowed me to leave. And they said, where are you going? I said, well, probably got to City Circle and jump in front of a train. What do you care? Um, I walked out of there, a mess, crying. Um, I went back home, got back home, and they'd contacted my wife, Diane, who was uh, there waiting for me. She said, what's going on? And um, You need to turn your phone on. There's people trying to contact you. Turned my phone on, lo and behold, and surprise, surprise, I had a bed in hospital the next day. Um, but it took me to actually go down there and show them it wasn't just a piece of paper on a desk and they had it had to be physically shown to them that I wasn't kidding around, that I was desperate for help. Yeah. Like I'm telling them, my doctors are telling them he needs to go to hospital. You can't wait, 20, if you need to go to hospital now, like you're not going to say to a heart attack victim I will wait 28 days for a bed.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: You know, like I'm not saying it's as serious as a heart attack, but when someone's at the edge of, thinking of self-harm or suicide, and they saying, no, let's think about this for 28 days. Yeah, like,
0: because we can.
1: And, and they're playing a game of life and death. Yeah. And that's the sad thing is because people are killing themselves purely because they're waiting on insurance companies to do what... Yeah, they've got 28 days. Guarantee that that's in the legislation, but it's not as simple as that. Like, mm. it's not 28 days to put someone in hospital to get help. It's, you're talking about someone's life. yeah. And not, they're not holiday. I don't know if anyone's been in a hospital, but it's not a theme park. It's not a holiday. It's not a luxurious resort. It's it's quite depressing just being there, and yeah. it's humiliating. Like to have your family and friends come out and see you, and that's only the ones that you want to know that you're out there because it's humiliating that you've even been in a hospital. Because without you know sugarcoating, it's a psychiatric hospital. Mm. It is humiliating and then for your own children to come out and visit you while you're in hospital as a, a patient under mental health, it's like, well, I was embarrassed and I, I still get embarrassed by it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask what, for you personally, why, why the humiliation?
1: I guess it all comes back to that social stigma of um, mental health. Yeah. Um, even though I've got it, there's still that shame of having it um, because of the way it's portrayed in society Mm. has been a weakness I just didn't like the idea of my kids seeing their dad in that sort of environment Mm. Um, I've accepted it now my kids are very 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 supportive of me now with it it still doesn't take away the guilt that I have have you had
0: anyone openly criticize you or um, ridicule you or back up what you've got going on in your mind or but hasn't been supportive to you Because where I'm going with it is I've found that everyone I've actually been trying to hide stuff from, once I've actually voiced Mm. it and been vulnerable and open and raw and I've told them this is what's happening, they've been very supportive. Um, Have you found that too?
1: Yeah, mate. I think those fears haven't been validated. Um, You're surprised when people actually do know the full extent of what you've gone through. They are quite Mm. supportive but it's hard to know who to talk to to begin with yes um you are very guarded and reserved about who or what you say and it takes a lot of um trust building before you can open up yeah um and it is hard it's a silent it's a silent killer yeah um like the stereotype for people that think of depression they think of the person laying in a dark room on the floor in the fetal position sucking their thumb Mm. you know and that's another thing with the insurance companies like that's what they make you want to feel you've got to do you're not allowed to go down the street and buy a coffee or something like that you're not made to be able to go down and talk to a friend in a social setting because hey you're out in the society you can't have anything wrong with you yeah um how dare you crack a smile you know if you're smiling you must be happy yeah and I found all that out when I had surveillance put on me and stuff like that, and yet all the surveillance was fake and false but and it was all proven to be yet they just dismissed it and didn't worry about it in making their decisions or anything like that so mm. but that's a that's what they make you want to. They make you isolate even more yeah, because you feel guilty for just wanting to be out in society and just trying to be an, – and my doctor and my psychiatrist, my psychologist, they're all saying, go play golf, Mark. Go to the beach, Mark. And I'll be saying, yeah, but uh, if someone –
3: Yeah,
1: and then you'd be thinking, well, what if I get seen? And they said, so what? I'm telling you that's what you need to do to get better. Yeah. You can't keep yourself locked away of fear of people thinking – if I was walking around when I had my... And that was my perfect masking. Um, when I did have my surgeries and that, I could walk around on my crutches and that. And then if I looked down and sad and that, people would just assume I oh, just had surgery. But that's acceptable. But if I walked around down sad and everyone would just think I'm being a snob or something like that, they wouldn't attribute mental health or anything yeah. like that. So the, a physical injury and a psychological injury is still viewed very separately.
0: Yeah, and yeah. um, I can back that up from... You know, our time at Penrith together, yep. you know, if you wouldn't come to an event or whether you're, a, yeah, you're a bit distant and, yep. you know, you'd always put it down to, you know, like, oh, it's my ankle. Yeah. But now you've, you know, been open and more vulnerable about, yep. yes, you've got some physical injuries, but the main issue was going on inside in your head
1: massively and a lot of time I could have returned to work a lot quicker if it was just a physical injury yeah but because the physical injury would then make my PTSD so much worse and I'd go into that bout of depression that would prolong my time away from work yeah and 100% I wouldn't go to these dudes. Yeah, I had my foot in, I could, have, if it was only physically I could still go and sit on a bar stool or sit on mm-hmm. a chair and still partake in the social activities but it was the other side that was being hidden yeah that prevented me from doing that
0: yeah Do you have any advice for a probationary constable, young constable, ambos, police, anyone that's uh, military, fireys, if they're sitting there really struggling with stuff and they feel like they're going to be less of a man or they're going to be weak to, to speak up, do you have any advice for them after what you've been through?
1: yeah well straight away, and it 's even um, not even so much less of a man or even women like um don 't feel ashamed mm. um, and don 't feel i know a lot of women still get um bullied and that within the workforces and that if they display a weakness oh, it 's just because you 're female on that hundred which is a load of crap yeah. you know it 's not because they 're just female on that it 's because they 've experienced something that 's traumatic um, and that 's the same with men and stuff like now now with hindsight, I look back when I joined and I had things. I should have been stronger within myself. If you want to be a real man, then be strong about the fact that you've got something wrong with you and you seek help about it. Mm. Um, it's a weakness not owning up to something that's hurting you. Mm. Um, and anything I can say to the ones that are joining in that, if you identify the littlest change in your behaviour because of something that you think you may have seen or... doesn't matter. Like, everyone copes with things differently. So what you're feeling is different to what I'm feeling and you know you, what you're feeling is different to what I feel you can't gauge on a certain incident how everyone's going to feel about it that's everyone's right. got their own personal intake you know or personal feelings in regards to it everyone's going to cope differently but as you've got to look after yourself individually because you're not going to get the support from the department mm. you're not going to get the support from the insurance companies you're going to have to seek it for yourself and mm. that's where you need to notice that any changes with your own behaviour go straight to your doctor speak to the doctors about it and then Mm. they'll probably make a referral to a a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But you've got to hit it early Mm. because the longer you start thinking, oh, no, it'll go, it doesn't go away. Mm. I often thought, no, it'll go away, you know, I'll feel sad for a day or two. It doesn't, mate. And as I said, Mm. the trauma that I'm going through at the moment happened in 1989. Yeah. Um, I thought it had gone away until um, it was re-triggered and it's floored me. Mm. Um, mate I'm back on heavy medications I've been out of the job for eight years And I'm still suffering effects from the job Yeah um, And it that hurts, it's painful Like mm. I, I lack sleep Yeah I, I, And I'm dealing with insurance companies again at the moment With all the crap which I thought had, was past me mm. from, the, um, from the police days um, But now I'm reliving it all again it's yeah. just, it's like I've gone back eight years in time and I'm going through the whole process again, which almost killed me then.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I want to speak about that. Can we just, um, you brought a bag of medication yeah. that... Yeah, yeah. So, um, ...you are currently taking today. So, yep. Are you able to share that with us?
1: Yeah, mate. Do you want to just tip it
0: out or...? Yeah, and we'll put them up on that. Whew. So how many tablets are you taking today?
1: Um, uh,
0: morning bring that
1: mic in front. Sorry mate. Morning. I'm taking my antidepressants and um the Acimax for reflux which has been brought on from obviously stress and anxiety and um all the medications I've had to take. Yeah. Um the diazepam, valium, that's for anxiety. Um same as cerical um they're three hundred milligram tablets. I take them for periods of you know extreme anxiety or um, at night to try and help sleep. Yeah. Um, Still knocks, which I've been on for about fifteen years. Um, that's for sleep. Um, metrazepine, That's a nighttime antidepressant, which is also to help with sleep. Uh, the mini press, and this is the funny thing: the mini press is a um, a high blood pressure medication. But apparently there's been studies done that taking in low dosages uh, can help suppress nightmares. Right. Um, so I take that at night. I have had no um, positive effect with it, suppressing nightmares and stuff like that. But when I'm in hospital, before I'm allowed to take the tablet, I have to have my blood pressure taken because if it's too low taken, that could reduce it even further. And then obviously i will be at a point where I could pass out or something like that or stand up and you know be dizzy or something like that. Yeah. When you're out on your own, Mm. you take it at your own time without having your blood pressure checked. But when you're in hospital, they make such a big thing about the importance of having your blood pressure done before you even take it. Yet out in the community, it's just take it.
0: Yeah, so you're taking all of this every day at the moment. It's daily, yep. And has anyone made concerns to you about the long-term health benefits physically about this? Yes, and wh- what's that?
1: Um, even my psychiatrist now with the Valiums, um, the amount that I'm taking at the moment, he's ter- um, very concerned about the long-term effects and knows that's something that needs to be addressed shortly, yeah. um, but he knows the stress that I'm going through at the moment, so he's monitoring that. Like, I've gone from seeing my psychiatrist once every month, even out to six weeks, to him ringing me once a week now and I've got another appointment with him tomorrow morning. So it's gone from yeah, almost once every six weeks from now pretty much twice a week um, because of the concerns he has at the moment and in particular with the amount of uh, Valium I am taking. Mm. Um, same as Doolnox, I've been told by various people that you should only be on that for six months, yet I've had it for 15 years. So yeah. I've got no idea what the long-term effects are going to be in terms of my... my liver and kidneys and you know my health yeah but they're all chemicals so it can't be good yeah um i don't like the idea of taking it um started the year i went into hospital have all that revised and changed medications and actually came off some of those medications but then insurance companies and lack of support from work and everything going to crap again has led me to be straight back onto it again so yeah you just get caught up in that vicious cycle
2: yeah
0: how are you feeling on, on all of this?
1: I hate it. Yeah. I hate taking them. Like, I've always been strong with my um, fitness and health and all that sort of stuff. Um, I hate taking chemicals yeah. um, that are going into my body, um, especially not knowing what the long-term side effects are going to be, mm. and I probably won't find that out until you know another five, ten years' time. Like, yeah. I worry about, yeah, am I going to have kidney problems, am I going to, you know, all these other things. Mm. Um, and even the nighttime ones now, because I have a fear of nightmares, I fight them. Like I'm taking that much nighttime medication that it should be knocking me out cold. Yet two or three hours later, I'm still fighting it because I just don't want to go to sleep because yeah. I'm actually scared to go to sleep. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much been bought on because I'm now reliving that trauma, which now all the feelings and emotions that went with that trauma now come out in the form of nightmares. Mm. Mate, it's just. Um, like I'm operating on an exhaustion at the moment. Like I'm absolutely off my feet, um, mm. but you just keep plodding along, and that uh, it's almost like on autopilot.
0: Do you have concerns when you're on your own taking this medication? Definitely getting it right, getting the timings right, the dosages right. Is there anyone <coughs> helping you with this?
1: No, there isn't. Um, when I went to hospital start of the year, we worked out that. The work I was doing was predominantly Monday to Friday, eight to four or eight to five, you know, so I was set times. So we worked out a set routine of when I take my medication in the morning, when I take my set medication at night, so I could then develop a healthy sleeping pattern. Did all the hard work, was about to come back to work. Get How long were you in for? Uh, How long did that take? That took about five weeks.
0: So that was five weeks at St. John of Saint God. Saint John of God, yeah, yep. started this year. And that was to get your medication and your um, routines right. It was
1: to get, because I was having problems with sleep, yep. it was to get myself into a, a healthy sleep pattern. Like you, to get into a healthy sleep pattern, you, you trick the mind into knowing, well, if you have a certain thing at a certain time, okay, we're starting to get ready for bed. Mm. Like you might have a cold shower or you might have a cup of tea or something like that. And then the body starts sinking and the mind starts thinking, well, okay, we're getting ready for bed now. Yep. And once you develop that routine over a period of time, You just automatically do it. Mm. And that was what we were working on. But then when I came out, work decided to say, well, no, you're not coming back to work. We're sending you for an independent medical assessment and we'll question your suitability. Did that, had no phone call, no contact while I was in hospital, see how things were progressing. Hit me like a brick in the face. And then I came back. They said, you're not going back to your current duties. We've got to find – we've got to redeploy you into other duties. They put me onto a position where I had to do shift work, which I went and started. I was working night shifts, so I was not taking my nighttime medications. Everything just started going all out of whack, um, and then I started. And that was
0: straight away out of hospital,
1: um, or shortly. No, it was though. about a couple of months out after that. Yeah, um, because one they had to send me for the independent medical. Yep. Um, so they put me down on special leave for that. And then when they sent me the letter to go for it, they actually addressed it to a female, not to me, um, instead of Dear Mark or Dear Donna. Wow. Um, so that's how much they care.
0: Just cut and paste?
1: That was, just, that was from the injury management bloke, and from my regional commander, she sent it to someone like um, Dear Ann or something like that. So two people, same organisation, neither one of them could have the courtesy to even cut and paste my name into it properly. Jeez. So straight away... Didn't really feel supported. Hadn't felt supported the whole time I was in hospital. They couldn't even do the decency of putting my name at least into it. Um, Like, yeah, we all cut and paste. There's no point re-writing something you've already written. But at least have the decency to change the name. And I've even got the private address of one of the people they sent it to, the female that they'd sent it to, which is, Mm. again, totally unprofessional. So many breaches they've done there. So... And this is
0: just you. Imagine is, how many yeah. times this oh, has happened to people. Yeah,
1: it happened all the time. So straight away I knew there was no support, so I'd yeah. been off, no support. Then I went for the independent medical assessment, um, came back saying that I should be moved out of the office that I was working in because that was where the trigger occurred. Yep. Um, and then they tried to work out that maybe I could do a day at home or something might just eliminate a bit of, you know, public contact and that.
0: Just give yourself some space?
1: No, they, there was no allowances for it whatsoever. Um, they pretty much said, no, nah, redeploy him to another unit, um, which was fine. I didn't mind going to another section or something like, but they said, no, nah, completely out of... ..somewhere else. So they put me into this position where I was shift work, which was against everything I'd just gone into hospital to get better at. So I did shifts. I think I had um i was on a five block five night block of night shift hadn't been taking any money medications by the third night the girl that i was working with she said mate you're a mess you can't do this she said why don't you why don't you speak up and say you can't do night shifts so i went saw my doctor he did a letter not to do night shifts then i just got shoved on afternoon shifts and again my medications were all over the place you know like Mm. i wasn't taking them like the nighttime medication i wasn't taking to 12 o'clock at night and then I wouldn't be going to bed until 2.30 in the morning and then I'd have to get up and then my daytime medications were getting later and later and it was just, that's when I went to my doctor 12 weeks ago to say, well, this isn't working. My medications and my shifts, are just not, I'm getting out of whack here, I'm starting to... I'm in trouble. Yeah, I'm in trouble, I need help. She sent away, or she gave me a, a certificate for two weeks off while we sort this out. Um, insurance company which had accepted liability of the claim mm-hmm. decided we're not paying him to have two weeks off. They then declined the claim, sent me for another independent medical assessor and they said that the only reason I'm suffering these symptoms is because I'm, I'm unhappy about being transferred and being on shift work. And that's where I stand at the moment. Unemployed, well, not, I'm still employed but on leave without pay, not getting paid, been that way for the last eight weeks while I wait for the insurance company and solicitors to work out where liability lies. And this whole 12 weeks that I've been off, not one phone call from management or anyone from my work, Um, no phone call from injury management or or, um, HR. I've got no idea what's going on because unless I make the phone calls, I don't get told anything.
0: So your GP, your psychiatrist supported the... The claim and the retrigger, and have and yep, are 100%. barking at the insurance company that this is the issue. Hundred percent. The independent medical examiner who spent an hour with you.
1: Yeah, about fifty minutes. Yep.
0: There was an initial report, and they've come back and said no.
1: there was an initial report, which is um, I haven't seen it. My solicitor hasn't seen it. My doctor hasn't seen it. My psychiatrist hasn't seen it. Um, but we've seen the supplementary report, which was based on one question, do you think Mark's upset about working shift work? And it came back is um, along the lines of it's um, not suitable for Mark to work shift work because of the medications and um, the routine of having to take his um, sleep and all that sort of stuff. So they've used that as the reason why um, to decline my claim based on the fact that I'm unhappy about being transferred into a shift work position. Uh, sh- uh, denying the claim,
0: even though your GP, your psychiatrist,
1: hundred percent have all supported that. All it is supported from the that. retrigger.
0: And there's enough in the even in the independent medical to say that you know he shouldn't be working shift work. Yeah. But they've just they're hanging on to just refusing the claim for whatever purpose they can.
1: They're basing it on the fact that I'm upset that I got transferred. Yeah, I'd sought treatment uh, well before that. Yeah, the insurance companies will just clutch at anything um, to prolong it as long as possible. Um, and that's the thing. They'll push it until you go to... Like, I'll probably get a court date, but they'll accept liability before you go in there because they don't want it told. Yeah. They don't want the story to come out. But yeah. this one I'm taking inside the court. Yeah, um, As far as I'm concerned, they can get stuffed. Um, it yeah. needs to be told the emails that you've been showing me about other people having mm. the similar problems, it's because, and I know when I went through the police one, when it's all resolved and they finally accept it and everything's done, you're exhausted at that point. They, they push it to the point of exhaustion or they push it to the point of killing yourself or whatever, but they push it to the point that when it's all said and done, there's no energy left or there's no one left to actually take it up and bring it to the awareness out because you're just so glad that it's over with. Yeah. It's got to end. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to let this one go um, I can't because like I said eight years I got out of the police I thought I'd gone through all this crap I'm now going through this crap again from all these emails that you're getting and messages that you're getting it is going on everywhere mm. um, all around Australia there's a absolute massive flaw in the system Yeah, comes back to management the systems they've got placed in the workplace which is absolutely non-existent because they wouldn't want to put gag orders on people If they were happy with the systems they've got in place, there would Mm. be no need to gag people about talking about it. And the insurance companies, they're delaying processing claims and declining claims based on little things just to prolong. And all they're doing is prolonging the anxiety and the hurt and the stress to a point where people give up. Mm. And that's either given up in life or given up with the claim. Yeah. Um, So you've been in your current workplace nearly...
0: 12 weeks off, 10 to 12, 12 weeks, weeks off, yep, and not one piece of contact zero. from your employer. Zero, that's disgusting,
1: absolutely zero. I've sent through emails with my work cover certificates, not even a response to them. Um, one of them, I think, I even said, in case you are interested, here's my work cover certificate, hoping that might elicit some sort of response. Still nothing. Um, no phone calls whatsoever, um, again. They can gag me as much as they want, but um, they're only gagging me from telling the truth. Yeah. Um, so I go, if there's repercussions for it, then that's only because of their guilt.
0: Yeah, there definitely is a lack of um, process, um, procedures, support, that human connection and empathy yep. from government departments to people who have um, suffered mental health injuries in yep. the workplace.
1: Hundred percent, mate. And I've actually been on the phone to them in tears. I've broken down and been got to the point where I've even well, I've got so frustrated I've been yelling at them, pleading for help. Just give me something, you know. And yet their response is to send the police out to my place to schedule me mm. because I'm unstable. It's like their quick fix and to make them sleep better at night is to know that I'm putting in a bed in a bloody psych hospital being scheduled. Mm. It's fixed nothing. And even now, when I've gone up to the hospital, that's the thing, what they don't realise is every psychiatrist I've spoken to at the hospital is fully aware of what they're doing to me and they're fully aware that every time this is all going on and the longer it's going on, I'm reliving this trauma every single day. So they are feeding into this trauma just as much as the actual trauma itself. Yeah. Um, and that's all. Docu- they've got one independent assessment. I've probably got six or seven psychiatrists that could do a report. Highlighting exactly what 's gone on, my own psychiatrist offered to give him a report they didn 't want it like how often i don 't know of anyone psychiatrist that would be willing to provide a report without being it actually asked for to mm. begin with yeah they weren 't interested in a report on it yet he 's been seeing me for fifteen years and they 've gone off a bloke that saw me for fifty minutes, and the original report that he did, which have no idea what it contained, but they're not allowing us to see it. So I could only assume that it's probably favourable to my claim. Yeah. Surprisingly, no one has got a copy of it. My solicitor, none of us have got a copy of it. So, um,
0: just so uh, we've spoken about, is this is what is this what's happened? So you've gone for the independent medical. You've been there for an hour. Yep. He's done a report then sent it back to him for rework, and then he's submitted a secondary report, and then you haven't seen the first one.
1: No, they sent me all the documentation, and in the annexure it said would contain the original report plus the supplementary report. Yep, I've got the first page of the original report, which is just my details, nothing else in it. And then I've got the supplementary report which is um, one or two questions asked of the um, doctor in regards to how he felt. What was his opinion on my thoughts of being transferred? Nothing to do with what the actual trauma or what the trigger was, which is what... And the whole thing, the the stupidity of it all is the whole reason I got transferred in the first place was because I was hospitalised because of the trauma. So it's all this domino effect is because of what happened with being re-triggered with this trauma yeah me going to the hospital changed change my meds because of that trauma me coming back to work and stuff like that was um, and then being transferred was because of them saying I couldn't work there anymore because of I got triggered through this trauma and they don't want me getting triggered again mm. and yet they're trying to decline liability and then they put down that I went to hospital at the start of this year because I took my own personal leave to do it because the year before that I was having trouble getting back to work I was dealing with I got cleared in May the year before to go back to work. I took it till September before I actually walked back into work because of the muck assing around just to try and... It wasn't anything that needed to be done. They just weren't organised. And then I went a whole year on 80% of my pay, which affected me badly financially, and I just didn't want to go through the same crap again. So that's why I took my own leave at the start of the year, not wanting a bar to do with workers' comp. And it's come back and bit me in the bum and I'm being punished for it now because they've said that they think I went to hospital for another reason. Yep. Fully documented that I went in there for a med change because I was still having depressive thoughts yep. and my medications weren't working anymore because of the original trauma. So they'll find any way to prolong their... And, and they actually accept the liability straight up. And it was only the second time that I went to take two weeks off that they then declined...
0: They, this second time, they originally, however, accepted liability?
1: Yeah, my doctor rung them up and said, Mark, um, are we billing news? And they said, yeah, we're paying for his um, his um, treatment um, sent through. And then it was only when they found out I was going to take two weeks off that they said, no, we're not paying for that. Um, my psychiatrist spoke to him and said that he needs to go into hospital. They said, well, we'd pay for that. Yet, on the other hand, they turned around and sent to the police insurance um, an email which, is, which I've got and it's documented fully that they were only, their intention was to send me to hospital for seven days so my doctor could serve me with paperwork declining my claim and then it was up to whether they were going to pay for me to stay any longer or they are just going to let me out of hospital, with getting no treatment.
0: So just wanting you to be in hospitals to be served papers in to a To cover safe their place. ass
1: in a safe place, knowing mm-hmm. that it would be triggering to know that they've just
0: wiped me. Wow, and you sit here twelve weeks on with no sitting here with no pay,
1: zero pay coming in. Um, I've had to put my mortgage on hold. Um, which again, like, that's all well and good now, but the long term effects of that, what, what are they going to be like in three, six months time when I apply for another home loan or if I want to sell up or something like that? Mm. How much is this going to like? If I'm having financial hardships now, that's obviously going to affect my credit rating. Yeah. So it's not just the effects of now it's what are going to be the residual effects down the track yeah Um, do you sorry I was just going to say and like just trying to how do you pay bills like I've had to um, like you're ringing around trying to get extensions on bill payments or Mm -hmm. set up payment plans and stuff like that I've got letters coming through the mall which I know are bills I've got a pile sitting on my desk at home I can't open because I just know it's just going to be more financial stress and I actually even got um, bills from the ambulance service, well, not actually from ambulance, but from state revenue, billing me for when I was taken to hospital under schedule.
0: So, have rang the police, sent them around. Yep, for a concern for welfare. Correct. Police have called an ambulance. Correct. They've scheduled you. Yep. And New South Wales ambulance have sent you a bill for that.
1: Well, uh, uh, state and revenue uh, has state revenue. Yeah.
0: So it's it's it hasn't even come from him, it's come it's no, come from I've gone it's straight. gone to through the process, gone yep. to state debt recovery and then
1: And so if I don't pay for that or get that sorted out, then obviously they what they do, if anyone's had a debt with state recovery, um they just suspend your licence.
0: Cancel your radio. Yep. How does how does this make you feel?
1: Again, what have I done wrong? Yeah. Um I feel like I'm being punished for being not well and seeking help and that's I've been punished for seeking help. Um, what does the insurance company expect when they're delaying the process for me to get better? And what I'm not after a payment or a claim. I'm all I wanted was to go to the doctors, work out how I can work out whether I can do shift work or not. How am I going to do my medications and go back to work? And go now back it's, to
0: work on Monday. Monday to
1: had they accepted that, I would have been back to work probably six weeks ago. Yeah, um, but. Each day I regress worse, I get worse and worse. Um, you know, Christmas and that are coming up. I can't afford anything. Mm. I'm embarrassed that I'm actually thinking of just taking off for Christmas and just, um, I don't know, putting up the swag somewhere and just spending Christmas alone so I don't have to face people and just be humiliated and feel the um, shame of, you know. Like, at the end of the day, I've got a job, but I'm just not getting paid because they're choosing not to support me. Mm. Um, the organisation, that's the, the stupidity of it. Like Someone does something wrong in the jails. like You see all these prison guards that bloody have affairs with inmates and stuff like that. They get suspended on full pay. Or yeah. they investigate them for 18, 18 months to two years. Holiday for two years on full pay. Mm. All I've done is seek help for an injury, which mental health is still an injury, and I'm being punished. They can't even find it in their any sort of special leave or nothing to help me get through while they find, try and find me some alternate work. And mm. that's even if they're looking for alternate work because I'm getting no feedback to suggest they are even doing that. Yeah. Um,
0: to give people some context of why being served paperwork in a facility is a trigger for you, can you share your experience exactly. of getting out of the New South Wales Police?
1: Yeah, well, when I found out that I was going to be served declamation paperwork out of St. John of God, straight away that was a trigger for me because I was contacted while I was an inpatient of St. John of God that I was going to be medically discharged from the police service. Um, Not the best environment to be phoned by your commander and told that news. Mm. And then probably a week or two while I was still out in that facility, I was advised that they were going to come out and serve me the paperwork. And would I prefer to come out in plain clothes or uniformed? Would that make would that concern me in any way? Um, That was their biggest concern. So, you've given
0: twenty four years. Yep. The hundreds and hundreds of exposures to um, death, violence, destruction. What what we what we witness and go through, um, and the traumas you've been exposed to. You're inside that facility due to constant exposure and the trauma yep. that you're suffering because of those, mm-hmm. and they and the New South Wales police decide to serve you paperwork and medically discharge you while you're in there getting help.
1: Correct. Wow. Yep. Um, made me feel. Well, at that point, then I hadn't even given up the possibility that I would return to work. Mm. I was in there actually undertaking the PTSD program um, with the hope that it would um, help me get better. Um, But once they pretty much told me that, it sort of took away for a while there any purpose to live. Like I was thinking I was in there to get better, to try and resume my career, and then to be told that you don't have a career when you come out. It was pretty hard to take. And then to be given paperwork while you're out there and to try and... I don't know how you meant to comprehend what's going on when you're in a mental health facility. Like, mm. um, I don't even know how it would stand legally. Like, you're not of sound mind, technically. Mm. Um, yet they're telling you that your career's over and they're serving you the paperwork about what it all means for your career to be over and that. And then after that, a couple of weeks, I went for an independent medical assessment again for the police service and pretty much walked into the appointment and you do the the initial re- introductions how was your childhood and all that sort of stuff and then he pretty much said look mark i'm not gonna waste your time um i've got a few questions i've got to answer that they need answered but um i've already spoken to your treating doctors um i'm recommending discharge um you to be permanently retired yeah. um, so it is a trigger that to be in an actual environment where you're seeking help and then for they for people and organisations to use that as, for them, a safe place for them, mm. that they can feel comfortable that you're not going to go do something stupid to then serve legal documentation on you when you're in there trying to get help and better yourself. They don't see the negative impact it actually has. Like As soon as I got that paperwork in the police service, the rest of the course was a waste of time. Yeah, I'd lost focus completely on what I needed to do. If I'd been in hospital this year thinking I was going to get help and then they just served out me and said we'd declined the claim, well, there would have be been no point of being in hospital. And yep. it was all purely their covering their ass that I don't go do something stupid because of their declination of the claim.
0: I'd be curious to know how many people out there across this country have been served papers yep. inside a medical health facility.
1: Well, I think it's disgusting. Yeah. Um,
0: so mental health facility.
1: You know, like I, I just don't see how you can be given something of such magnitude and the legal ramifications from it whilst you're in a mm. un, in an unwell state, and for them to think that's acceptable, and it's purely only acceptable on the fact that they're covering their arse. Yeah. And even my doctor, my um, psychiatrist, said there's no way I would have served that on you. He said, there were, I would not have run the risk of serving you that paperwork and then then declining you to stay in hospital any longer than seven days, knowing that you would have been going out triggered highly mm. with that knowledge that your claim has been declined. He said, that is not the purpose why I send you to hospital. Mm. And it's not, you're not sent to hospital so they can people, so people can serve legal documents on you. You're sent to hospital so you can get better. yeah, Not be given another trigger or another, you know, stress mm. that you've got to, Deal with,
0: and at that point, I, I take it you didn't feel like you were part of that f- the family, the police family.
1: Nah, that's um, that's pretty much when um, I actually went through a period where I absolutely hated the police. Um, I even contemplated numerous times when I was walking around the streets of Penrith. Um, to actually, I was in my mind thinking of ways how I can engage in a. a a violent confrontation with them mm. um and that's not well it has been disrespectful but i didn't mean to be disrespectful to the wasn't the the ones that are on the front line it was management that i was angry at but it was that uniform yeah that i was angry with it was because that represented the organization and even now i've told the insurance companies stop sending the police around to cover your ass because i will start taking it out on them yeah um and I know there's been warnings sent out about that's how I react but the insurance company just seems that that's for them they just seem it's okay to waste resources get me worked up and um, you know at, to a point where I'm you know in a highly agitated state mm. and their quick fix is we'll just ring local police and waste their time to go and check up on Mark yeah and get him scheduled but then we've done our job because we know he's in a safe place now he's not going to do anything stupid which will come back and hurt our company
0: when this saw first Started 1990, when you first sought help, um, 98, 98... 98, yeah. 98, 99. 98, 99, yeah. Discharged from the New South Wales Police 2012. Yep. At any time, have you felt supported, cared about by management?
1: No. 100% no.
0: That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yep. And, and again, it's, it's why... I know how difficult this is for you to sit here and talk about. Yep. Um, And the emails and messages that we get, I know that this is such a huge issue across the country. Yep. And more people need to share these stories for change to happen. 100%. Um, So, you know, if you're out there and, um, you know, struggling with this and you're you know a similar experience we need to start sharing your stories and we've got to start coming out of the shadows to effectively get change yep can you share with everyone what the day that you the last day you had on duty and what broke you what
1: um again this is what it scares me uh, my last day at work i'll sit in the office um there was something going over the radio uh, There was a job going on and that's what scares me to this day like similar to that trigger they got re bought up after 30 years of suppressing it just something happened i just snapped and just said i'm done and just walked out of work i just walked out you were at Penrith
0: police station i was at station. police station yep.
1: i just walked out um went and got my kids out of school took them home um said goodbye to them left um, found myself up at um, uh, Knapsack Bridge and was going to, um, yeah, I was going to jump off. Mm. Um, and the scary thing is, I can't remember. That What worries me is if I'm going to face that trigger that set me off that day again and what it will do to me. Mm. Um, but it was just something that was going on over the radio that I just said, I can't do this anymore. And just. Yeah. I just walked out, didn't tell anyone, just walked straight out. Um, And that was my last day at work. And I got, um, my daughter rung my wife at the time and said, Dad just picked us up from school, drops at home, is acting weird. Um, Something's not right. Mm. And who intercepted
0: you that went up at the bridge?
1: Ah uh, mate, I was sitting up on the bridge, I had a bottle of vodka, and um, it was pretty much the thoughts of my kids. No one intercepted it at all. Mm. Um, uh, just after a period of time, I was very emotional, and I um, decided to come down and I actually went back to work and um, got my bag and left, and wasn't even missed. I don't think anyone even realised I'd disappeared.
3: Mm. I um,
1: was only pretty much dying the kids knew. Mm. So again, like, even and at work, had, no one noticed that I'd gone, so. And never went back? That was the last day I stepped foot, yeah. The only other time I stepped foot in the police station was when I dropped off my uniform and badge for the final, <coughs> um, for the final time.
0: What was that like after giving 24 years?
1: The the exhibit person at the time I'd handed into the exhibit person was a lady by the name of Kerry Smith, um, and I actually, she was in the job when I first started at Blacktown, so it was sort of, of anyone that I would run in, that give it to, I suppose that was nice in that respect, that she was there when I first started, and she was there my last day, that all my uniform was just in a black garbage bag, and um, just handed over the badge and was given a miscellaneous property receipt. That was it.
0: Anything from management? No.
1: <laughs> Nothing at all. Mm. No one from management was there to see me. As I said, I walked into the, I don't know if anyone knows, the station, of the set up at Penriff, front counter, walked across the corner into the exhibit room, did the paperwork, <coughs> and just walked back out with my miscellaneous receipt. Michelinist property receipt for my uniform and badge. And that was it. Wow. So 24 years service, pretty much. Yep, see you later. We don't give a shit. Mm. Goodbye. Next one off the uh, production line comes in. Yeah. Um, and when I first joined to when I left, changes in terms of support? No. Nah. The only thing I saw come out was a stupid buddy EAP card with a phone number on it. Um, That was pretty much the only change. Mm. And um, duty officers ringing up, doing a welfare check just so they could report at the monthly meetings that they've conducted the monthly um, welfare check on anyone that's off sick. No, everything was done purely on systems... Not because they had to or, or, or it was done because they had to because yeah. of the systems, not because they really genuinely wanted to check on your welfare, yeah, the welfare checks uh, every time they rang or something like, I knew straight away next day'd be management meeting, and I actually knew that because I was speaking to one of the admin officers there, and she would tell me that the only reason no, and I also found out there was certain individuals that were purely mm. doing them because I' go on for duty officer positions, and mm. they needed that as part of their competencies that they had to have a welfare check component of it. Yeah. So they're using those examples of conducting welfare checks in their applications and interviews.
0: Yeah, that's coming out. What I'm being exposed to is uh, messages and emails about people um, that have been affected by senior officers using uh, bullying and using techniques to prey on... Um, those that you know uh, are suffering from PTSD, yep. um, as a way to climb the ladder, using it is, it as yeah. their promotion. Um, you know that's in their resume, their their incident and how they were treated by that senior officer yep. is in their resume.
1: Yeah, uh, and
0: and it's false and misleading, mm, uncaring,
1: very uncaring. Um, I can't see if. If it's part of a criteria for someone to get promoted, how's that a, a genuine caring service? Mm. Um, we all know that when you're going for another position, you just look at what the job stream responsibilities are, the JSRs, and that's all you're focused on. Mm. You're not giving attention to the detail of that. You just focus on getting that JSR done. Yeah. So if one of that's a welfare check, you can't be fully present with the person that you're checking on and actually ensuring that they are getting what they actually need. Yeah. You're just there for your own purpose, not for the purpose that you're meant to be checking up on. Yeah. So until that system is changed, no one is going to get the correct support. Yeah. that has got to be separated from th- from promotion system. Mm. And in all honesty, it shouldn't even be handled by the police. Yeah. Each police station should have a bloody psychologist working in there. Each ambulance station should have a psychologist working in there full time. Yes. But the government makes that much bloody money through revenue by people going to hospital and an ambulance and stuff like that, why can't they appoint full-time professionals to be in these areas that are exposed to these things on a daily basis and speaking to them as soon as they get back in off the streets and debriefing them? Yeah. There's got to be better systems in place and it's got to be taken away from coppers that have only got it in their mind of promotion and progression Mm. because they do not have your interest at heart. They don't care about you. They don't care about doing... As long as they've ticked and flicked, and they can report at the management meeting, they've done that, and they can go to do a good bloody application for their jobs and all that sort of stuff. That so they've done all these welfare checks, they're not genuine. No,
0: the amount of exposure that police, ambos, fireys have, every, like on the job, there should be a psychologist in the stations that you can, that are a part of the station community. Yep, someone that um, officers can build trust with. They can build rapport with over time. Yep. So when time comes where you realise, shit, I, I'm not coping with this. Yep. Something's not right. Instead of... I, I remember looking through um, phone book. I don't know where to start. I don't you know where don't, to go. Yeah. So if you knew of someone who was, you know, in that role and they were in the station... You already got a leg up to bloody go to them first, yep. Um, which is then going to save so much angst in the in the future. So, and, I, and it should be mandatory that police, ambos, fireys, you know, whether it's fortnightly, monthly, you sit down and talk. That Even if you be. don't feel like you need it, let's talk about what you've done this month.
2: Yep.
1: How
0: does that sit? Okay, fine. That's great. Thanks. But like yeah. there needs to be a mandatory check-in.
1: 100% agree, mate. There's got to be... Um, the quicker the intervention, mm. the better chance that you can... No, it's not curable, PTSD. It's manageable. Mm. But the quicker you can start managing it, the less you've got to manage with it. Um, having a psychologist in the police stations, the fire stations, the ambulance stations probably even for the nurses and the emergency personnel on emergency departments, Yeah, as you said, mandatory. Yet, it is mandatory in all jails that the prisoners have got access to counsellors and psychologists that work in the jails on a full-time basis.
0: That's unbelievable, isn't it?
1: Why can't they then do the same thing for each police station, each ambulance station, each fire station and stuff like that? Like, then the responsibility of the bullshit welfare check that these duty officers do, and that's what it is. I'll call it for what it is. It's bullshit. They don't care about you. They're just ticking and flicking. There's no concern or empathy or anything that they pretend to show. Mm. We all know it's a game. You've got a psychologist in there, independent from the police service, whatever it is, they're just contracted by whatever it is. They're trained to be cared, you know, to care for people, and to help people who've got exposures that have got mental health issues or even might not even be something on the job, maybe like to prevent someone working to their maximum capacity. They could be having family problems Mm. and they bring that to work. They can't perform to their maximum because there's issues on the side that's preventing them from doing that. Mm. There still needs to be someone they can go and talk to. Like you walk in the police station, you can't talk to anyone about that crap that you're experiencing at home or if there's, you know, stresses outside of work that you're worried about. Yeah. And yet these people are then going out with guns looking after the public and they've got not only the stresses of the job but they're human and they've got their own lives as well. They've got their own day-to-day stresses that everyone has anyway. There's got to be better systems in place. Like They've got to look at, Like coppers aren't robots that just come into work and have got no other problems going on in their lives. Mm. They're also experiencing stuff that people that have normal lives don't encounter. Mm. So they're getting normal life plus – Exposure of what they get in work life, magnifying things, and they wonder mm. why police are getting and emergency personnel. They have outside issues. They have inside. They've got all these other issues, and at the end of the day, we're just like anyone else. It's just the job that we do.
0: Yeah, you you made a really interesting comment. Um, it in was episode two, and you said. I was in real trouble when my work life and home life merged. Correct. And I found that really interesting how you said that um, when when policing goes home with you, yep. and home goes to work with you, when they merge, that's when real trouble... Massive. ...is, is and, um, and uh, the way that you put that was, you know, as a... I remember that being a, um, a moment of... Yeah, okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, my world's collided. I had no... At that point then, there was no escaping work. Yeah. Um, work became... Was constantly reminded from home um, and vice versa. I couldn't separate the two from that point on. Yeah. Yet I then went and worked for another 12 or so years, whatever it is. But yeah. at that point then, before you could... This is the job. I can separate that from my living. But then once the two worlds merge... It's hard to separate that. Yeah. And
0: I, I've thought about, is this the moment when then alcohol, prescription drugs, drugs... Anything, yeah. ...sex, um, you know, risk-taking behaviour, they that starts to become really prevalent in someone's life yep. once work and home merge.
1: But you need some escape.
0: You need some escape. So we're, we're going to those substances or, you know... Risk taking behaviour yeah. to, to, to get that escape.
1: Yeah, when work and home life are separate, you can actually go home to the com- you can actually leave work and go home to that safe place and that comfort. But when they're merged, you've got to seek it somewhere else or yeah. you've got to seek other behaviours to yeah. distance yourself from what your world is.
2: Yeah. I, I
0: remember myself finding that I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone at home about what was happening at work. Yep. And I found I couldn't speak to anyone at work, what that was happening
1: at home. It is, it's conflicted, you can't. Yeah. And then you get caught up in that thing where you've got to find some outlet and that's when you do resort to those other vices. Mm. And n- most of the time they are not positive vices, they're self-destructive patterns. Yeah. Yeah, you just become self-destructive. Mm. Um, more and more risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the same thing, like I said, you, you couldn't go into work and then express an emotion about, oh, I'm having trouble at home, you know, but oh, what do you think that? And same thing, you couldn't go home and say, well, i just counted this at work, because one, you didn't really want to talk about it, but two, you didn't want to upset your partner or, or people that were close to you.
0: Yeah, you're trying to protect them, too, from what you're saying. My you family say.
1: are only starting to find out things now. Um, mm. My sister and mom, my mum have seen a couple of the podcasts and that. Um, my sons are starting to... Well, my. Elder son, he's done to talk to me about a few of the things and that, and they know that there's been a problem, but they don't know exactly what it is.
0: What's their reaction been?
1: It's been um, very supportive. Um, Mm. As I said, they've grown up with it. Um, Mm. They've known me as a person with PTSD, and I sort of um, feel cheated. Take your time, mate. Um, I feel cheated in the fact that I didn't have an opportunity to have my children without PTSD
3: Mm.
1: and that's all they've known their dad as is someone with PTSD. So, um, and that's one thing I can never get back Mm. and yeah, I, I feel cheated in that respect. You
0: know, they love you, but...
1: Yeah, I got a message from my son the other day saying how much he um, loves me and and all that. And I, I do know that they do love me, all three of my children. Yeah. But I feel guilty that I wasn't the dad that I thought I should have been to him because I wasn't wholly present because of my mental um, stability with the PTSD and that. And, yeah, I feel guilty for it. Um, and... No amount of counselling or support will ever make me feel any different because it's just something that's that's not how I wanted to be a father. Um, And the fact that that's how it turned out is, I guess, just how the cards were dealt, but it's just not how I envisaged being a dad. Um, And it is hard, especially when there's milestone birthdays and stuff like that, and, you know, I've missed of their growing up and things like that and um, because of you know past behaviours and things and just it's just something I've got to try and live with but I can't live without the guilt um, yeah um, my kids are fantastic towards me um, but I would love to have them to have known me without PTSD yeah the real me not What's left. And the
0: strength in you now is being there for them now.
1: Yeah, I have to be. Yeah. Um, and they're there for you. Yeah, they have been. Um, I, they wouldn't know how many times just the mere looking at their pictures. It's, it's, um has stopped me from doing something stupid. Um, and just the mere thought of them has stopped me from doing something stupid.
0: This is what management of government departments and what insurance companies need to see. Oh, that because this th- is the human cost of...
1: Yeah. Just doing our job? Yep. Again, I, I'm still waiting for someone to explain to me what I've done wrong. Because all I feel like now is that I'm just... I have a lifetime punishment. Um, When someone can explain to me, I'm doing my job and this is what I get for... Or this is what I deserve for doing my job, then, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But I just need someone to explain what I've actually done wrong. Mm. So... Um. Yeah, it's hard because as I said that's one of the things: living with the pain and suffering that, but living with the guilt is hard. I
0: think we both want, as hard as what this is that we you keep reliving your yep. experience, and you know you've you've been telling your story over and over and over and over yep. again. We, we're doing this now to try and prevent other people going through this? Yeah,
1: but someone's got to. Yeah. Um, it's to the point now where people have spoken about this. I, I can't remember for how long it's been spoken about. There's been a problem with this system. as something not right, but it never gets fixed. It's mm. got to stop. It has to. Mm. Um, it's wrong. The bullying from the insurance companies, the mismanagement from the departments got to end Mm. and it's got to come out in a public forum um how that happens i don't know but the insurance companies need to be exposed for what they're doing um understand they've got to look into claims but the fact that they prolong like the people that decline my claim one of them's got a background as a bloody um what are those backcrackers called chiropractor chiropractor um.
0: So this is the insurance. Assessor. This is the insurance the assessor. Yeah. So the one that's doing your mental health claim is a chiropractor. Is a chiropractor
1: by background. Um, the insurance companies for one should be having a separate unit dealing with PTSD of emergency personnel and defense. will defense have their veteran. It should be true to complete. It should be separate from everything else because it's completely different to everything else. Mm. It's not a person out there with a bad back who's trying to rot the system and then they see him out there loading bloody 20 kilo, kilogram bags of cement and stuff like that, mm. you know. This is an illness that can't be seen. Mm. Unless you walk around with a bandage on your head, people don't think there's anything wrong with you. Mm. Yet it's been handled by people that have no understanding or concept of what it is to go through with it. And so how can they actually... That's what I'm saying. It's like they push and push me to the point where they end up calling the police on me. It's like a game to them. Yeah. Because they don't understand what they're doing to me because they can't understand it because they've never experienced it or they don't have the necessary training for it. And that's the same with the police doing their welfare checks. They haven't got... Which one of those coppers that do a welfare check has got a degree in counselling? Mm. Which one of them's a psychologist? It's a professional area that needs to be dealt with by professionals. Yeah. Not some half-assed bloke or woman that's trying to foster their career and climb as high as they can up the buddy, the um, chain of command. They've got no interest in the person they're doing the welfare check. They're only interested in getting that job application done so they can apply for the next position.
2: Mm.
1: It's got to be taken out of that. That system has got to change where it's not, that should not be a part of a job requirement. Yeah. It should be, de- it's a, it's, a problem which should be dealt with by professionals. Mm. And then that person then can make the referrals to the proper treatment services from there.
0: And the police that are rocking up to your door to check on your welfare and I've been there yep. too. You yep. you go and do confer, concern for welfare yep. checks and <coughs> you've got 15 other jobs to get to.
1: But yeah, I'm taking up their time. Yeah. Um, and I feel bad and I I've, I've even said to him I said look he doesn't need to be here on you know you've got better things to do and stuff like that and then um i feel bad i feel humiliated it's embarrassing that um ex-colleagues are coming around to my place and the worst thing of it is too is that it becomes a station summary or in some t- instances that i've had recently it becomes a statewide significant event yeah so everyone in the state knows about what's going on people yeah. that i've worked with would be reading up about me and I don't know how they feel about me and to be honest I don't give a rat's ass.
0: And all this would be avoided if there was better communication but Massive. from the insurance company.
1: Could have been totally avoided. Yeah. 100%. As I said I, I feel embarrassed that the police have to come and, and as you said I know from working in the job when you're dealing with a concern for welfare and that it takes up a lot of time mm. and it takes up a lot of resources it's not just a simple fact go going there and just saying yep everything's all good here let's go. Yeah. They, once they're Involved in it They're there to make sure They have to make sure That you're They've got that duty of care Yeah Whereas insurance companies They've got no duty of care at all No They make the phone call As far as they're concerned That's that's the end of it for them Yeah Whereas the police They turn up They've got to guarantee Your safety Mm. Um, And it's a waste of resources That they have to
0: As you said They're probably using All of these tactics To keep pushing The deadline out Of having to 100%. 100%. Accept liability or pay you.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I said it was two weeks that my doctor put in for me to have time off to get this sorted. 12 weeks d- <clears throat> down the track. My conditions deteriorated com- Not 1,000%. Mm. Um, where I was 12 weeks ago to where I am now. And it's only getting worse. The pro- uh, the longer it goes on, the worse I'm going to get. Mm. Um so
0: what? What? where are you sitting now in terms of what? what's next?
1: Well, I don't know, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, as I said, I don't know what's next. Um, when you don't get any feedback from management to know that you've even got a job to go back to, when you don't hear from the insurance companies or your solicitors. like I said, they're all waiting on this independent assessment to come back and then I've got to then, um, my solicitors are then... We're not appealing it. We're taking it straight to the commission to have it heard ASAP. Yeah. So we're not even going to ask for a review of it. We're just going straight to the commission on it. Um, and that's
0: because of the support from your GP, your psychiatrist, yeah, 100%. your association, your solicitor.
1: Yeah, they've all said, no, nope, we're not going to ask for a review. We're just taking it straight to the commission. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> having said that, that's all good for them to say, we're doing this, we're doing all that. I'm the one that's they're all doing these things and they've all got the time and all these things will take time and processes but I'm on leave-out pay. Mm. Like is anyone actually thinking about what's happening with me in this whole process? The fact that yeah, they're doing all these things which I appreciate but I'm not getting paid. Mm. I've got to try and live day-to-day Yeah, waiting for them to all... Like they've all got their pays coming in. They get to go home at night. They've done their day. They're working which has given them some structure in their life whereas I'm sitting at home waiting on everyone and yeah. getting worse in the process. Mm.
0: And um, you've I mean, you've mentioned to me too about you're the one trying to chase up everything. You're the one doing all yeah. the running around. And when you contact the insurance company, you get smart-ass comments back.
1: Yeah, condescending smart-ass mm. comments back. Um, try and chase up for the independent report, get nowhere with it. Then your solicitor wants you to do a, a, a statement about what's been going on. So therefore you've got to go through everything again that's been triggering for you. Mm. Uh, and it's just constant. Mm. It's just and that's where the insurance <coughs> the insurance company knows this game. They know it's gonna wear you down. Mm. And at the end of it, if you're still around at the end of it, you're just gonna be totally exhausted that you're just not gonna take it any further. And that's yeah. where they get away with it, because then it just gets swept under the carpet. No one's the wiser. Yeah. And everyone else has to just suffer.
0: Can you share what it was like going to the independent medical examiner about three or four weeks ago?
1: Um, mate, it was crap. Um, I knew I'd have to, I was anxious going there because I knew what, what I'd have to talk about. Mm. Um, again, I wasn't anxious about, like, there was nothing to hide. Mm. It was not like I had to try and make anything up. I was just, um, but it was the fear of having to know what I had to say yeah. because of how much this trigger and the trauma has done to me. So I had to go through the whole experience of what happened with the trigger, uh, what the trauma was.
0: was that, that was the Braidwood incident?
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't the Braidwood incident. This was a... Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later Yeah, later. well, as I said, it's pretty still raw with me at the moment. I'm yeah. still trying to work through it. But it was uh, another fatality, double fatality. But there was... Um, someone actually died in my arms on this one. Um, yeah. I wasn't actually attending and they were already deceased. The person actually died on me. Um, but, yeah, I had to relive all that again with the psychiatrist or the independent. Um, mate, I was a mess by the time I finished talking about it. Again, um, one hour? F- yeah, just probably an hour, if that. Yeah. I was a mess by the time I spoke about it. There was no um, support provided by the independent afterwards. Mm. Like, he's a professional... At the end of the session he knew I was a mess, he handed me a box of tissues and then went around packing up all his paperwork, putting it into his nice leather briefcase and shit like that and was pretty much giving me the hint, you know, time to go. Then I walked out of there absolutely bawling my eyes out and walked out into Macquarie Street. I didn't know what to do, I had no idea what I was going to do, where I was going to go, I've never felt more alone and lost in my life to be honest. Um, No one was with you? I had no one. Um, I had no idea where I... I I just didn't know what to do. Um, I ended up just wandering the streets of Sydney for about two hours. Um, But I was just totally raw. Like My emotions had just been completely exposed. And um, looking at it now, I could have done anything. I just was totally... I didn't know... I literally had no idea what to do or where to go. Um, There was just nothing... Um, yeah, it was all well and good that they sent me to the independent, and that, but there was no offer of support going with me or anything like that. Was there any
0: offer of support to go with you? Not to the
1: IME, no. Yeah. yeah. And that was with the police service as well. The association, police association, never provided um, someone to come with me to the um, independent. Do you um, feel
0: that's something that should happen?
1: There should be a branch there that um, someone can accompany. Because sometimes people can't say, well, we'll just take a family member with you. Like People got to realise that people that are going to the IMEs may have a partner and they've got a young baby. You can't drag them into the city Mm. or you can't drag them to go into these things. So you may not be able to take who you would normally take to these things. Yeah. But if the associations or the unions had someone that was a unit there of even set it up in different regions or something like that, one or two people that can pick the, or go with a person, wait with them, and then when they come out, either take them for a coffee or just help them debrief what they've just been through. But it's got to be someone who's got experience in that area, whether it be a professional or whether it's someone that's gone through the same process and knows what they're going through. Mm. But just have someone there to be able to talk to you and actually guide you to where you go, where you go to from there, like yeah. even just to get you home. Mm. Like I didn't even know if I wanted to go home or not. Yeah. I just didn't know where I wanted to go, Or what I wanted to do. Yeah, I didn't know what I had to do. I like, was just, as I said, I just never felt alone and lost like I did. Like I walked out of there, I was, I was a wreck when I walked out of there. Yeah, um, and he didn't even like a simple gesture of, oh, "I was the only one you want me to ring for you to, you know," or meet. He didn't even check to see if I was meeting anyone. He's obviously done his questions for... ..going to get paid. Obviously wanted to get out of there Friday afternoon, get home to his...
0: There's so much to unpack from our combined 32 years. Oh, massive. Mate, well, let's leave it there. Yeah. Um, like we've got so much more to talk about and to um, raise awareness with this and, you know, so many more um, events to share... Of, of our own experiences so i think that's enough for today yeah <laughs> um, if anyone if this story resonates with anyone um please reach out to me craig gibson 75 at outlook.com um you can follow us on instagram craig gibson craig underscore gibson 75
1: follow you on instagram yep which will come up on your feed anyway. Yep. so yep. they can I'll put it on there. If they want to contact me, just see. I think it's at Mark underscore 25442 or something cool. like
0: that. Um, I'll put these up on the YouTube video as well. Um, if this has raised any concerns and, um, you know, you're in trouble right now, please, Lifeline is 13 11 14. are um, Beyond Blue has some great resources on there for PTSD. Um and please if you are feeling like you need to talk to someone please reach out to someone anyone uh family members friends you'd be surprised how supportive they they actually are when you yep. are vulnerable and open with them so i just please um don't be like us and waited and ran away from problems and waited a long time to to seek help and used alcohol and all sorts of things to to cope with feeling the way that we did so please just reach out and talk to someone if you can 100%. mate um thank you so much um no i pleasure, know how mate. difficult this is um yep. but i really appreciate you you talking about it because it is going to help other people yep. um and i can only just say you know just keep fighting mate and Yep. We both have so much to live for. 100%. So um, I, I appreciate what you're doing.
1: Yeah, mate, there's no problems. mate, to you too, mate, appreciate everything that this is... Someone's got to start this this awareness and yep. to start the change. Yep. Things have got to change. Yeah. Um, it, it can't be any more clearer than that, that change has got to happen. Yes. Um, too many emergency personnel have taken their lives unnecessarily. Yeah. When things could have been put into place to have looked after them better. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's got to stop. Yeah. Mate, next episode,
0: we're going to dive deeper into some of these things because yep. we've just scratched the surface. Yep. Um, and we want to actually talk about some strategies that have helped us. Yep. Um, not the bad ones. Yep. Talk about some of the good stuff that has helped us get through to the next day. Definitely. And beyond. So thanks, mate.